Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. What's up, everybody? It's Brendan and Stefan here, episode 29 of The Back Check, and we are bringing the heat on this episode with our buddy NHL Rumors Daily coming onto the show, NRD as we like to call him. You all follow him on Twitter. He's always breaking that news, some great tidbits of information if you are looking for some breaking news some rumors going around on twitter and he comes on a couple of minutes into this episode you'll hear it around 22 minutes in and it's a great show so you're not going to want to you know fast forward you're going to want to hear what we have to say about the rangers and islanders but stick around listen all the way through because he's going to say some things that i think are going to make nhl fans ranger fans in particular islanders fans perk their ears and open their eyes a little bit yeah, great interview. Thanked him a lot for coming on. He's a big deal in the hockey world. He's a growing guy as well, and he's anonymous. So you won't know. You won't get to see what he looks like. You get to hear what he sounds like. Somebody on Twitter, though, is talking to them. They go, I can't wait to listen. I don't know what he sounds like. I said, yeah, he barked the whole time. It was very weird. <laughs> it but, was. Uh, we had to decipher the uh, interview. We had to decode it. Yeah, no, but to get to this serious stuff, I mean, pretty much the Rangers season just ended tonight, losing to the Flyers. I mean, that's just absurd. And the Islanders, you know, bring the offense in regards to shots on goal in the first period against the Capitals, but can't beat Samsonov. The game goes to a shootout, 0-0 to the shootout. So both goalies pick up shutouts. That's kind of cool, except the Islanders do lose in a shootout. Bavillier gives the Islanders a lead on a, on a nifty backhand move. I mean, it was just absolute filth. But then Backstrom comes down and goes posting in, and then Kuznetsov wins it. So Islanders are now in third place in the division technically, and it, yeah, tough night for New York hockey. Yeah, it definitely was a tough night, and I mean, the Rangers have themselves to blame. Another big game where they're just not ready to play, lackluster effort. You can be your own judge of where that stems from. I'm not going to go into that. But, uh, I mean, they had chances to score. They had numerous chances. Brett Howden had a backdoor tap-in that he decided he was too good to hit the net on. Um, And it just continues to be themselves are the ones that are beating the Rangers, not the other teams. Shesterkin looked, cr- I mean, I don't know how much of the game or highlights you saw because obviously you were watching the aisles tonight, but Shesterkin made a couple of saves where you just had to go, oh my God, did he just do that? And I think it was the first time we're watching him play. He stopped the penalty shot as well, where he was so calm and composed that I go, oh my God, I'm seeing flashes of Lundqvist right now. Like that That's the level of game that he played tonight where he was just composed on the penalty shot. So composed, in fact, that Farabee made a full cross-crease-length move and Shesterkin didn't split, nothing. He just butterfly, 
tapped it away. Like it was eerily calm, and that was probably Monkwitz. You could not score on him on a shootout or breakaway. So it was good to see him play like that. Bad to see how the Rangers played. And like you said, tough night. Both teams wanted to get two points, and both teams failed to do so. See, I had that reaction. Every time the Islanders got on a fast break or a breakaway against Samsonov, I mean, Barzal made an absolute dirty move to get around. I'm trying to remember what defenseman it was on the Capitals. Filthy move, but couldn't beat Samsonov. That was pretty much the story of the game. The Islanders had their glorious, glorious chances and just couldn't find a way. Now, if they lift the puck, they probably have a couple of goals, but we're seeing again. I mean, the Islanders outshot the Capitals 15-4 to in the first period. No goals to show for it. That's been an issue. Islanders can pepper the goaltenders all they want. If they don't bury, it doesn't matter. And then the second period, they get outshot 14-7. Third period, outshot 9-3. to In overtime, they had the puck the whole time, but didn't do anything with it. And then you go to a shootout, and I mean, both, both Islanders and the Capitals had winning records in shootouts, except I don't think you want to face the Capitals, the star forwards they have in shootouts, opportunities. They're just, they're just too good. And we always talk about this, you know, the shootouts, you don't want to see a game like this, 0-0, goaltenders duel, if you want to call it that, even though it missed chances on both ends, and in a shootout. You don't want to see that, and unfortunately, unfortunately it did. Yeah, it's uh, you don't want to see it like that. I hate the shootout. We we talk about this all the time, how much I hate it. But, I mean, Quinn's going to Quinn. Zach Jones, NHL debut, less than 10 minutes of ice time. Shocker. Uh, it's just it's it's phenomenal to watch the consistency on his part. As inconsistent a team as the Rangers are, their head coach's decision making stays consistent, consistent. Which I guess, hey, you'll give him that. It's just consistently bad. It's not not the other way around. Philip Edel, by the way, had a move tonight where he went. He did that Ovechkin through his legs where he like pulls it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Backhand shot in stride, beat Elliott, but hit the post. And if that went in, oh my god, I would have drooled. I would have straight up drooled just everywhere. Well, that's not, you know, with COVID-19 and all that stuff, that's probably not what we want to be doing. I, I'm, I'm alone. I'm, I would have been watching it, drooling myself, but that was, it was beautiful to watch. But again, they're just, they're that close and they're just not good enough yet. Uh, it's pathetic. Adam Fox paid 28 minutes. <laughs> 28 minutes of ice time. I mean, the only good thing about this is that it crushes their hopes, right? I mean, are they mathematically eliminated? No, but they're eliminated. So now they can play the young guys. Exactly. How about you, you stop being a, a buffoon and play these young kids? Let's call it Barron and stop playing Howden. Let's let Jones <laughs> play more than 945. Let's let Lafreniere play more than 13 minutes. Let's let Kako play more than 1140. Edel play more than 1111. Kratzov more than 10 minutes. Uh, I mean, it's just pathetic. Let these guys play hockey. Are you winning a Stanley Cup this year? Even if they made the playoffs, the answer is no. So why why are we playing 20 minutes for all these guys? I mean, why is Howden playing the same amount of ice time as Vitaly Kratsov? It's, uh, uh. There's no reason for it. I mean, you know, you talk about the Rangers, how many young guys we have, and we talk about that with Mr. NRD um, later in the interview. But, you know, you look at the Islanders, and they have Wallstrom. He's not getting playing time. He looked lackluster since returning from, you know, he was banged up a bit. Bellows hasn't seen ice time in God knows how long. And Travis Zajac was a main part of the reason why Palmieri and Zajac went to the Islanders rather than a Taylor Hall trade. Again, we'll get into that in a little bit later. But Clutterbuck came back in the lineup tonight, which meant either Komarov or Dalco were going to sit. That was that was the where everybody assumed was going to happen. Some people said maybe it was going to be between Clutterbuck and Komarov. No, it was Travis Zajac who sat, and Komarov was put in the top line. And we know that 
Komavka plays defensive style all he wants on that top line with Barzola, but when it comes down to burying those rebounds, doing all that stuff in the offensive zone, Komarov doesn't have the talent to do that. Komarov is one of the Islanders' best players tonight, but there was one play league where everybody took a slap shot off the pad of Samsonov, and Komarov, you know, it was a hard play to make, but Komarov does not have the ability to do that. But Komarov was amazing on the penalty kill. Islanders kill off three of the Capitals' power play goals who came into the game. 6-12 for 12 against the Islanders and first in the NHL in regards to power play. Islanders' penalty kill was great. Islanders didn't take advantage of their two power plays. Uh, it was just one of those games where it just seemed like it was going to... Maybe a bad bounce would be the reason this game ended one nothing or whatever it was. But like I said, the Islanders continue to have chances. And Palmieri had a couple of prime chances where you know he just couldn't score. And at the end of the day, it's you're brought to the island and to score goals. Forget what you're doing with the Devils on a bad team during this weird season. You're brought to the Islanders to score goals. Now, he's not playing with Barzal, so maybe playing with Barzal would be that what he needs. Barzal did not look particularly good today at all. He was fumbling every single puck, making pretty dumb decisions that, you know, that was like two years ago, Barzal making the dumb decisions he was making. Uh, it was just... It was just really, really tough to watch because you see it that the Islanders are playing better. Like the offense was, if the Islanders score a couple of goals in that first period, I guarantee they don't get dominated in the second and dominated in the third because you know how dominant they are when they play with a lead. It's just getting that lead. I mean, against the Rangers, they they had prime chances and they made a count, and that's how they were able to win that game. This was pretty much the same game except in the first period, except the Islanders didn't score. Samson have made unreal saves. Don't get me wrong. But even with those unreal saves, Islanders should have had two or three. And it comes down to, this game ends, one other thing they lose, the lack of offense. And the lack of offense, while in the playoffs, defense wins championships. We've talked about it over and over again. A game like this, you know, could go either way in the playoffs. But it's the fact that you had the opportunities. In the past, the Islanders weren't getting these opportunities. They were getting a handful of opportunities appeared, and they were making it count. They were one of the best teams last year in coming through on those opportunities. But this year, you're getting those chances. You're just not. You're getting the abundance of chances. You're just not scoring them, and it's more frustrating because, again, zero goals. Zero goals to show for tonight. You had one goal to show for against the Flyers um, last Sunday. You dominated the Rangers, but we know what the Rangers have been inconsistent. The Rangers didn't play particularly well. Trubert gets hurt, so they're short of D that whole game. I mean, things in that game worked out for the Islanders. But you're looking at tonight like the Capitals, where you got two more games against these guys. This was a hard-fought match. Don't get me wrong. But Samsonov had struggled against the Islanders all year coming into this game. And he was he was great, except the Islanders still, there were wide open chances. Bailey, you know, Samson makes a great play to Rob Bailey on a tic-tac-toe, beautiful passing play. But a quote-unquote sniper probably puts that where Samsonov can't get it. And he gets the Bailey shot, and that's just the way that game, this game went tonight. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be... It's why I don't think the Islanders have necessarily what it takes to win a Stanley Cup because if you're not going to score first in the playoffs, you have to be able to come back and win games because I can guarantee you with how dominant they are when they do score first, teams in the playoffs will find a way to to just with the momentum and the passion that they play, tie one of those games up. It's just inevitable. So can they then recover? Because that's not been something they've had to do yet this season. For the most part, when they've taken the lead, they've held it, and they haven't had that team come back on them and see how they respond. So there's a lot that, despite how battle-tested they are, they still haven't experienced. And like you said, the offense at times could be so dominant where you just go and you're like, how, how are these guys held to two goals a game or less sometimes? And then all of a sudden it just becomes anemic, and that, that disparity is just bad for them. I mean, Barzal could have had a hat-trick tonight. If it was if it was one of those games where Barzal was on his game, 
he made the moves. He made the moves to get the scoring opportunities. He just couldn't finish. And again, it's frustrating because you think of this is this Islander team is one of those teams that cannot score on breakaways, cannot score on odd man rushes. They just are incapable of doing so. Tonight, Barzell had two shots on goal, and those came off two unreal moves. I mean, again, it's so hard for the Islanders to create offense, and when they do, you're happy for them. You want to seem like this is amazing. They, they got the chances, and you get out of the first period 0-0, and you're still confident. Look at the momentum they took from the game against the Rangers. They brought the offense. Samsonov's just standing on his head. Even though some of those shots, Samsonov shouldn't have to be able to make. They should be in the top of the net or wherever the puck needs to go. But at the end of the day, goalie makes a save. Give him credit. Then the Islanders got dominated. Dominating the second, dominating the third, where it was survival mode. They didn't have the chances to score in those periods because they, they just didn't. And they, you know, they take penalties. Caps go to the power play. Fortunately for the Islanders, the Caps didn't come through because, again, you could have seen that happening because the Caps were six for twelve again coming into this game against the Islanders on the power play this year. And again, it's just a frustrating game because you look at how close these standings are now. And the Islanders started the game. Um, they were tied atop the East. The Caps had the tiebreaker. But now you look at it. The Caps get two in this game. So they're at 64 points. The Islanders now are in third with 63 tied with the Penguins. But again, they're, they're under the tiebreaker because the Penguins, the beat up on the Devils, as every team seems to do now since the trade deadline, the, Devil, the Rangers just killed them pretty yep. much. I think they averaged, I don't know, it was 18 goals over four games. I mean, just unreal. They, well, that we happens. To, we have to talk about what happened the other night in Pittsburgh with that too. We will talk about that in a second. But the Bruins also won tonight. So now you're looking at the top of the division and the bottom division separated by four points. Four points. And the Bruins have two games in hand on everybody. Everybody in the top three spots has 47 games played. Bruins have 45. The Bruins could still win this division. Like, it's crazy what could happen, but it's just, you could go from one to four every single night. It's that close. And if the Bruins, yep. I'm, I want to see if the Bruins play the Sabres again. The Bruins play the Penguins after that. I mean, these, these, this, the way they made this schedule to end the year is kind of crazy how it's going to work out because every single game is going to alter the standings. And it's going to be yeah. fun to watch depending on what team you root for. The uh, Islanders are going to be the four seed. It's possible. It really is. I, again, I don't, think, I don't think any of the teams that are in the four spots are not making the playoffs. I think it's set in stone. The Capitals, Penguins, Islanders, and Bruins. No, that's your final four. That's your East. final four. But any one of those teams could be in any one of those spots. And The Bruins I mean, are too hot right now. The Bruins are hot, but it takes one loss. You know, it's the Bruins. They're very good. And we've seen what they're capable You of say it's the Bruins. The, they're rolling. No, I know. Yeah, but, look at the, but see, look at their schedules, though. Like, the, there's no reason the Penguins should lose a game to the Devils. The Bruins should not lose a game to the Sabres. I mean, we saw the Rangers lose to the Flyers, but there's a reason why the Rangers aren't in a top four spot. The Islanders have the toughest schedule. Have uh, the Islanders lost to the Flyers? Yeah, I think once. Okay, so the, there you no, go. It, it happens. Uh, yes, but I'm not saying right now where they are in the standings-wise. The, these teams are going to play each other. The Islanders finish the season against the Bruins. I, I, we say it every single episode. I'm going to say it one more time here on April 22nd. They come down to that last game. The last game of the season could determine a playoff seed, and I think it will. Not a playoff seed, excuse me. It would be a, one of those four spots. It's just, again, crazy how close how close the division is. And you look at the Penguins. like They're not going to lose. I don't think they're going to lose the Devils. It's the Islanders against the Caps where that could be the reason why the Islanders end the season in fourth rather than in a top two spot. And we talked about how dominant the Islanders are at home and how important home ice advantage is going to be. It is imperative the Islanders finish in a top two spot. Do they play the Penguins at all? Um, the Islanders are 
done playing the Penguins. This is what the Islanders have to do. They play the Capitals two more times, the Rangers two more times. Then they get the Sabres and the Devils. So at the end of the year, the last five games are against two Sabres, two Devils, and the last one's against the Bruins. So you, you should expect, I mean, I want to say that, four wins before they have to face the Bruins again. But again, it's the Islanders. You never know. You never know with them. Uh, the Capitals games and the Rangers games are going to be tougher than people think. Even if the Rangers are out, that's still a tough game. No, I'm saying those, um, are, those are tough. Yeah, so it, it's going to be tough because I look at the Penguins and they're just that thorn in your side where somehow every single year they're there and they have two regulation overtime wins, two more, I should say, than the Islanders do. And then you have the Bruins who are three points back with two games in hand. So they have every ability to overtake them. It, I want to add something too. So the Capitals added Mantha. He scores goals. Um, the Penguins added Carter. He scored the other night. The Bruins added Hall. He has a couple of goals. Islanders added Palmieri and Zajac. Palmieri has a goal. Zajac has a goal. But besides that, they really haven't done much. And Zajac was a healthy scratch. So now you look back at the trade deadline and go, okay. Are the players they could have they acquired coming through in more important spots than the other players that were acquired in this top in the division? And quite frankly, those players the Islanders got that they thought would be a a big key. And again, it's still early. It's been what a week since the trade deadline, not a little more than a week. Ten a days. More, yep. Ten, ten days. So we're not going to you know grade them on. It's all about the playoffs. It's all about what you do in the playoffs. That's why you were acquired. But at the same time, you want those players meshing. And while the second line. Looked great. Uh, Dal Cole, Nelson, Palmieri looked great against the Rangers. They looked pretty solid again tonight. Not not great. They didn't really stand out as much, but you want to get that chemistry going. And if Zajac's going to be a healthy scratch for Komarov, and he was the big reason you didn't go after Hall, quote-unquote, if that was the reason, then him being a healthy scratch hurts a little bit because if he was that big part of that trade and he's not even playing to help this team, that's a tough pill to swallow. When Taylor Hall, if he was on the table and they didn't get him, I mean, that that's tough too. I'm looking at these standings, and crazy enough, there's only two teams in the East who are sub-NHL 500 on the road in the East, and it's the Islanders and the Sabres. That, that's kind of telling. That's why I'm telling you, the Islanders, it's, they need to get a top two spot. They have to have home ice advantage. Not that I'm saying they're in trouble, because the playoffs bring about a whole new animal for every team that makes it. So you just got to get there. But they are so comfortable at the Coliseum, and they don't but want to be out of that comfort zone. It, if if it ended right now, they're playing Pitt. Pittsburgh is eighteen to uh, three and two at home. Yeah, but the Islanders had the best home record in hockey. But they're eighteen three and two at home, and the Islanders are nineteen two and three. So that's not like a disparity. That's one game. Yeah, that's crucial though. So <laughs> if it ended today, the Islanders would play the Penguins. And- we're dominant at home. Yes, so you'd still rather it be reversed. No, I, I, I'm saying, but it's crucial. Usually you want home ice, right? Oh, everyone's yeah, yeah, better obviously. at home. No, it's just but how this, dominant they have been. Like the Capitals are 14-6-2. That's a good record, right? But that's not a record that you look at and go, they're unbeatable at home. The Islanders and Penguins pretty much are unbeatable at home right now. Uh, to me, if, if you don't want to play the Penguins, I think if you're the Islanders, you'd rather play the Capitals. I personally, if I'm the Islanders, oh, I want to, I want to fall below the Bruins. Yeah, but see, I, I, you know, I, you want to say that and all that kind of stuff. I don't think the Islanders go into games and go, "Oh, we want to finish lower in the standings." No, I think you that, don't. You don't. But Pittsburgh's not a team you want to play in the first no. round. After how good they've been this year, after what happened last year, 
they got embarrassed. Montreal wasn't even supposed to be there. They were the worst team point-wise that entered that qualifying round, and they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're going to come out with a chip on their shoulder this year. I do not want to play them in that first round. So if I'm the Islanders, if you happen to fall below the Bruins and you play the Capitals, who you beat last year, it's not the worst-case scenario for you. No, I would love to play the Capitals again. I would love to see that it's going to come down to how it goes over these next two games. The Islanders could win the next one. If the Islanders play well on the road against the Capitals, it's more confidence there. But if the Islanders, you know, the, these three games set, they had two at home, one on the road. I was more than happy winning two at home and losing the one on the road. But now the Islanders, to make this series worthwhile, are going to have to now win at home and then put together a, a strong performance on the road. And again, the Islanders haven't been a great road team. They, again, most of their points have come at home. So you want to see them continue to get points at home. The good news is Volmov was struggling against the Caps coming into this game, and he played very well. That's a positive because that means, okay, you have confidence you could put him out against the Caps. He's not going to get shelled. I don't know who you want to play. You just want to get there and play a team, but I agree with you. I'd rather play the Caps than the Penguins. I, completely. And I, I don't really think that's outlandish to say. But we we talk about this in the interview coming up with NRD, NHL, rumors daily right and and we talk about the playoffs and and who the top dogs are and i'm not going to give anything away from what he says you got to listen to the interview to hear that but when you look at the east uh, you got to think that it's going to be an absolute war zone right during those those first two series and with how the playoffs are now formatted there's a chance that you could come out of the east and not play a team from the, the canadian division but play a team from one of the western ones that you're not used to playing in that conference final, if you will. And the whole structure, I'm telling you, it's going to be brutal to get through. And if the Islanders can somehow escape through and they're a little banged up and, and all of a sudden you're going against a team like Colorado or Vegas or somebody like that, a Carolina, it, it's a it's a tall, tall task. And, and it's not just the East. It's Carolina's going to have to beat the Panthers or the Bolts, you would think, right? Then you look at the North, pretty much – Maybe Toronto, Montreal is the battle. Winnipeg could give somebody a run for their money. But then Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota, St. Louis maybe in the other one. Like those are four grueling series. And then you can have cross play. It's going to be beautiful to watch from my perspective because I have now no fandom involved. Yeah, I like I completely agree with everything you said. I mean, we say last year it was going to be tough to win a cup given the circumstances. This year it's going to be equally as tough given – Teams have not played other teams out of their division. So when they have to, is there an adjustment period? I mean, they're used to the teams in their division. So if any team's going to dominate a series, it's going to be in the division. I don't think it's going to be outside unless it's like anyone from the North because they've played Toronto's play. If Toronto does come out, which I think they will, they've played absolute craft defenses and it's been a walk in the park. So the one thing I do want to add before we end this, which I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, the Islanders magically last season they got healthy so that was part of it they averaged three goals in the playoffs three goals per game you got to see something like that again happen this year because the Islanders are averaging under three and like we said in big games like this against the Cavs it's a big game a big game I would say even against the Flyers last Sunday that's a big game for the Islanders they have a total of one goal over six plus periods of play seven because that was in overtime so, I mean, it's just craziness that the Islanders can't come through. But, again, we saw in the playoffs that happened. So. Yeah, that, that is uh, kind of crazy. And the last thing before we cut to our awesome interview and commercial break here is the Devils scored six goals in the third period against the Penguins and lost the game. 
And the Penguins became the first team in NHL history to win a game where they allowed five or more goals in the third period. And the Devils became the first team since the Capitals to lose a game where they scored six or more in one period. And first of all, how do you give up six goals in a period for the Penguins when you're up by that much? Bad defense. Bad goaltending. Yeah, but six in a period is a lot. Well, think about it, though. Why did they win that game? Because they happened to go off in the first. Because they scored goals early in the game. That's why they were allowed to win that. You look at the Islanders. They don't do that. I would If the Islanders won that game and that happened, would I be pissed if they blew it and they allowed a lot of goals? Yes. But I would look at him back and go, well, the reason they were able to win that game is because they came through early in the game and got a lead. That's, it's like Penguin fans, that's a terrible stat to see. But at the end of the day, they got two points because they scored goals. They gave, yep. themselves, they gave themselves the room to allow that many goals in a period, and they still won. Yeah, so we're going to go to a quick commercial break when we come back. NHL Rumors Daily, NRD, is joining us for an amazing interview. He's breaking down the trade deadline, who he thinks won it, some rumors that he's hearing around. And when you're listening to his winners and losers, just keep in mind, Jacob Verana had a four-goal game tonight against the Dallas Stars. Hey, everybody. It's Brendan here. Do you have old jerseys? What about old hockey equipment? Rather than throw these items out, our friends over at Alternate would love to have them. This nonprofit converts jerseys into reusable face masks, the same face mask the New York Rangers wore in the bubble this past postseason. The old equipment you donate will be given to less fortunate children throughout the state. It doesn't matter what team you root for. Let's all come together to make a difference and grow the sport of hockey. To learn more, head to altronite.com. That's altronite.com. Hey guys, Stefan here. Each night on Long Island, 180,000 residents will go hungry, 39% of which are kids who have no ability to control their situation. Our friends over at Long Island Hockey Co. are trying to help as many families as possible. Each hat sold on their website will provide 50 meals for food insecure Long Islanders. Head to longislandhockeyco.com and let's help the people in our community. SUNY Cortland Sport Management is a proud sponsor of the Backcheck. In the SUNY Cortland Sport Management program, students get hands-on training in sport event management and sport media production. The Sport Management Department is the oldest sport-specific major in New York State and boasts an impressive list of alumni, something me and Brenda know a lot about. To get more info about the program, go to cortland.edu SPM or look up Cortland SPMG on your favorite social media. SUNY Cortland Sport Management, where the tomorrow's sport industry leaders practice their craft. Joining us now is NRD, NHL Rumors Daily, and Mr. NRD, how are you doing today? Good, how are you, how are you guys doing? We're doing good, we're doing good. Brendan, I know we want to we talk right away off the bat about a, a tweet that you made that I co-tweeted that started this whole conversation. So Brendan, remind everyone what that, that tweet was. Yeah, so the tweet, I'm not going to read it word for word because it's a whole thread here, but it was basically saying that the Pelock and Pulock pairing, a Pelock and Pulock, I should say, pairing will not be uh, of the same recognition and same grouping as Fox, McAvoy, and Makar as individuals, even if they are one of the best pairings in the league, which uh, Stefan didn't like because, you know, Big Isles guy over there. So he said individuality <laughs> is for basketball. And I said, that's not what you meant. So we'll let you kind of clarify what you meant by that, even though I already know what you meant. Well, it's quite simple. I mean, the only award that they give out for pairings is the William M. Jennings Trophy for the top goaltending pairing in the league. I mean, they don't give out pair, uh, 
awards for the best defensive pairing. At the end of the day, I think the Islanders' defensive core is really strong. I mean, you got Pellick, you got Pulak, you got um, a couple other guys. I mean, they have guys there that are lockdown defenders, but when you're talking about exciting, young, top offensive defensemen, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about the defensemen that are putting up points. We're talking about the Quinn Hughes, the Kel McCars, the Charlie McAvoys, and the Adam Foxes of the league. I, I don't think it's anything against Pulak and Pel- uh, Pelic and Pulak to say that they're not on the same level as Adam Fox. I just think that's the two completely different types of defensemen. And at the end of the day, uh, I'll just say this, and I know Steph is not going to be happy with me because he's an Islander fan, but if you take one of those two away from each other, they're not putting up the points oh. or maybe the defensive prowess of one of those other guys I mentioned. I think that's all I meant by that. It wasn't to slander them or slander the Islanders or be pro Rangers or anything like that. I try to keep the bias at the door, but I think at the end of the day, it's just those defensemen that I named are extremely skilled with the puck on their stick, and they're just completely different type of defensemen than Pelican Pulak. Yeah, no, they I shut think- teams down. They're a shutdown pairing, and they do their job for the Islanders, but the other guys are just a little bit more fun to no, watch. I need to, I need to clarify because I, I understood exactly what he said. I was just trying to showcase that individuality is not going to win you anything unless it's basketball. But I completely agreed with what Mr. NRD said. You look at Fox and you look at Pelican Pulak. They play shutdown defense, and that, that's really it. They're not offensive-based at all. Adam Fox is showing that he could do absolutely everything. He, quite frankly, could probably coach better than Quinn at this point. So, I mean, he does it all. But, I did, no, I agreed with the, the tweet. Brendan throws him under the bus here. I agreed. I also said, I also, I remember in the comment section, I said, I love you. It was all good. No, no hard feelings. <laughs> Many people didn't agree. Let's just, I just want to throw this out there. Many people did not agree with that tweet. Many people thought I was wrong for not mentioning McAvoy at first. The reason why I didn't mention McAvoy first is because that guy's been in the league for like nine years already. And he's he doesn't count. He doesn't count. I was talking about guys that had entered the league in the past couple of years, like Hughes, like McCarr, like Fox. McAvoy's been around. He's almost a veteran at this point, despite being just uh, the same age as some of them. And at the end of the day, I think that the Islanders <laughs> defensemen, like I said, are very good and they're very good at what they do. But you take one of those two away from the other, and you're not getting the production, I think, out of them as individuals. I think they work great as a pairing, just like the Rangers had with Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi, or Ryan McDonough and Dan Girardi when they went to, uh, when they went to Eastern Conference Finals in 2012, when they went on their cup run in 20, uh, 2016. I think those are the uh, types of defensemen that win championships, but they're just not as exciting to watch. You're not going to put them in the same conversation as those guys like Fox and McCarr. I completely agree. And I think for the people that didn't uh, you know respect your opinion there and don't know really hockey all too well but we'll, we'll move on so obviously you're heavily involved in covering the nhl trade deadline and were there any trades that you heard about that were coming through yet never made it you know made it to the you know nhl network coverage because i know there's some trades that happen people talk about and they don't get it in three o'clock or at four o'clock or whenever the deadline is i think one of the uh, closer things and you and i have spoken about this uh, through messages uh previously i think taylor hall and the islanders were close I don't think it ever got to the point. There's been some discrepancy about, you know, the no trade clause, and I won't get into too much detail because at the end of the day, the only people that know the truth are Hall and his agent and Kevin Adams up in Buffalo. From my understanding, I don't think it ever got to the point where he was approached because I don't know if he would have waived or not. I think there probably would have been some convincing going on if Boston didn't step up and if Boston wasn't as strong of a suitor. Because remember, this whole thing kind of, everything was connected here. Boston was in on Palmieri. And then the Islanders were in a Palmieri, and then things pivoted. It looked like at one point, uh, middle of the week, I believe that was a Wednesday night, that the Islanders were getting closer on Hall, and Palmieri was starting to become a Bruin. And then things kind of shifted. I think the first-round pick being on the table for uh, 
Tom Fitzgerald in New Jersey, plus Travis Zajac only wanting to go to the New York Islanders to uh, win a Stanley Cup. That played a big role in it. I think things shifted after that again. Taylor Hall obviously wanted to be in Boston. So at the end of the day, I think that was a really close move. I think Florida was a close on uh, was close on a couple of things. I don't have many specifics for you there. I think Bill Zito, being a former Columbus Blue Jacket executive, was talking there. I don't know if that means Max Domi. I don't think Patrick Laine was ever seriously brought up in trade talks. Why would they sell low on him, like Pierre Lebrun said? Uh, he hasn't been doing much under Tortorella. I don't think Tortorella is the coach there next year. So I think Yarmulke Kekalainen is going to give him a chance to kind of grow under whoever they bring in behind the bench. I think Florida was another team that I was watching, and I'm a little surprised that Brendan Montour was their only big deal the deadline. I think they were close on a couple of forwards, and they couldn't get it done at the 11th hour. Before Brendan gets to his question, you know, there talks about Shane Gothisbury when he got put on waivers that Florida might get him. And then when he passed through waivers, Florida might trade for him. Or the Flyers had a big deal. They were trying to make it the deadline. It never happened. Anything you can give us on what who they were they were targeting? Florida was in on Eckholm and Ryan Ellis. I know I was talking a lot about Eckholm. I know Elliot Friedman brought up the Ryan Ellis thing. And, you know, you'd be stupid to doubt Elliot at that point. Yeah. Um, Florida, I had the... Sorry, Philadelphia was big game hunting in terms of defensemen. I think the biggest um, crux for Philadelphia at this point was they know they don't have the team to make the run this year. I think they were looking at deals that help them beyond next year into uh, expansion draft protection, into future seasons. Ekholm, being a guy with uh, two years left on his contract, would have felt uh, would have been a good fit there. Ryan Ellis had years left on his contract that also would have been a good fit. But at the end of the day, I don't think Philly thought that now was the time to be giving up assets. For guys that, yes, I mean, Ekholm would come in. He'd play on the first pair, the second pair in Philly. He'd instantly be better than the production that Shane Gossespierre has given them. But I don't know if Philly thought that this was the right time to give up assets for, for a trade that, you know, you still have to worry about expansion draft protection and all that. And so I think the Gossespierre uh, waivers thing was just giving them the flexibility, as I mentioned on Twitter. And I know a lot of people were panicking. A lot of Flyers fans panicking, saying it was a stupid move. Waivers were different this year. I know there's no more waivers now that the uh, rosters are expanded. But waivers were a lot different this year. A lot of teams were hesitant to claim guys off of waivers, whether that be fear of retaliation, because you know darn well your guy's going to end up on waivers at some point, whether that's because of hard cap restraints, whether the owner doesn't want to cut checks for any signing bonuses or anything like that. So waivers were a lot different. And I think Philly thought at that moment that, be safer to just let Gossespierre go to the taxi squad, gain that flexibility to talk some trades with some other teams, but it just wasn't the right time for them. And I don't think that Ryan Ellis would have been the make, the make or break for the Flyers going on a run. They needed they need like five other defensemen and a goaltender. So yeah, you know they were they seemed pretty far off. But Brendan, you can get to your question here. Yeah, I mean we we talked about Nashville how they started going on a run at kind of the wrong time for all those trades to to come to fruition there, and they wound up standing pat for the most part. They had actually added Gabranson at the deadline. But who won and who lost the trade deadline in your mind? Obviously, the big trade kind of came at the end there with uh, the Capitals and Red Wings. So in your opinion, who won and who lost the trade deadline? I'll give you three winners right now. Awesome. The Islanders, I think they won. At the end of the day, that first-round pick was meaningless if they plan on making a run. They grabbed Kyle Palmieri, a Lou guy. We kind of figured he'd go after one of his own guys. And I know there's some discrepancy because Lou left towards the beginning uh, beginning of the 2014 offseason. Kyle Palmieri came uh, came over right after that. That was Ray Shero's first deal. Don't think for one second Lou Lamorello wasn't scouting Kyle Palmieri. Those things don't come down uh, last minute with New Jersey in regards to a Lou Lamorello front office. And besides, I know for a fact Lou Lamorello was very interested in Palmieri 
couple years prior when he came out in the draft, they ended up going with Jacob Josephson because a couple other guys fell that they didn't expect to be there. But Kyle Palmieri was a Lou Lamorello guy for a while. And then Travis Zajac, obviously, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to explain the comparison there or the connections to Lou Lamorello. So they're a winner in my book. They grab guys that make sense in their system. I think Boston's another winner just because of the fact that they get Taylor Hall. Who knows? I mean, he's putting up some points. He's doing well in Boston. But at the end of the day, I think they win because they didn't really have to give up a lot to get him, right? They gave up a, a second. And um, Anders Bork, uh, and I just think that it makes a lot of sense for that team to do that. I mean, why wouldn't they? I don't know if Boston's geared up to make a run. I just think that they had a lot of question marks, whether it's goaltending health, whether it's depth on the back end. They were another team that explored uh, at home for a little bit. They were in on Dennis Savard as well. Um, so they were a team that needed some more things, but I think they win just because they didn't have to give up a lot of assets. And then I think the Red Wings, you just mentioned it. I think the Red Wings are the winner of that deal. I think Jacob Brown is the better player in that trade. Anthony Mantha goes to a capitalist team and I don't think he's a bad player at all. I just, I didn't really understand the fit to be quite honest with you. I was talking with somebody else about this trade the other day. And I just think the Capitals are a very heavy, very pack a punch team. And, uh, Anthony Mantha being a six foot four forward probably not the best skater and they get, they get rid of a young fast winger and Jacob Rana. I think Detroit's obviously geared up to do some great things in the next five, six years. This is not their time, but I think they make a great hockey trade. I know people talking about them as a seller, but I think they made a great move that sets them up for now and the future. So those are my three winners. And then as far as the losers, I think we lost as the fans. I think it was a very boring day. I know uh, you guys discussed that. I discussed it a little bit. Um, can't think of any team that was a big loser per se. Maybe you talk about Columbus going back to when they made that trade for uh, uh, Patrick Laine. They got rid of Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think they weren't – it wasn't the right fit with the tort system. And I, I, I guess you can call them a deadline loser because they didn't really get the opportunity to do much this go-around at the deadline because they just – they kind of fell off the wagon there after that deal. Um, they did get a first for Felino though. They did get a first for Felino. But that was tough too. I mean, there's that's another one of those heart and soul guys like Travis Ajak going from the Devils to the Islanders. I don't know if that's a win because Columbus is in that weird – they're in that weird floating area where they're not buyers, they're not sellers. They got rid of a heart and soul guy, a captain that's been there for such a long time. And I don't know. I, I kind of put Columbus on the loser side of things just because I think they could have done more if they had a better team. So as far as trades go, it's hard to pick a loser. I think a lot of teams are cap-strapped yep. with, the, with COVID restrictions on the salary cap and the taxi squad and all that. So – no losers in my book besides us. It was a boring day. It hurt my brand, I'll tell you that much, when we only see 14 <laughs> trades go down. Um, the Taylor Hall one was the biggest one the night before, obviously. So it's kind of what I got for winners and losers. But definitely the Islanders, the Bruins, and the Red Wings as far as winners. I think they did really well. And Columbus, I mean, they were losers coming into the year because they traded Anderson for Domi. And look what Anderson's doing. Domi's done pretty much nothing. Like They also traded Savard, a guy that's a heart and soul of their team as well. So it's been tough for Columbus for sure. Yeah, like I said, I just throw him in the loser column. Not to uh, hate on Columbus, but just because I think if they were in a better position, they would have been able to do a lot more, obviously, at the deadline. Maybe you would have saw them in play. Maybe they would have kept Felino. Maybe you would have saw them in play for a Taylor Hall if they just wanted another winger to pair with line A and just really go for it. But none of those guys really mesh with Tortorella's system. They haven't been winning many games. They're streaky. I just – it was an ugly situation for Columbus there. So looking at the uh, upcoming playoffs, which team do you think is the best one built for a long playoff run? Honestly, I have to give you Vegas. I just think Vegas is built so strongly up the middle. I mean, they're only real – Achilles' heel is their fourth line. 
I don't think they have uh, beaten and banging fourth line. Ryan Reeves was injured. Um, and if he's not in the penalty box, you know, he only can do so much in terms of offensive production. So I think their fourth line scoring maybe hurts them a little bit. But other than that, you want to talk about an expansion team that really has been there before. You're t- this is a team that's been in the league for three or four years now. I forgot already at this point, but they have guys with experience. They have a goaltender with Stanley Cup acumen and experience. I think they're built so deep up the middle. They have Robin Leonard as well, in addition to Mark Andre Fleury. Their defense is good. They have Alex Petrangelo. Somehow they keep grabbing these guys without any cap space. They were in on Taylor Hall too. Couldn't believe that one. <laughs> I think they kicked tires on Mike Hoffman. I Vegas is absolutely set up for a deep playoff run again. I don't know if they win a cup. I, I'll have to revisit this. Maybe I'll come back on and revisit this in a couple of weeks when the playoffs start. But sure. um, I think Vegas jumps out to me as a team that's built I'm not so convinced with Colorado as I once was. I, at first, at the beginning of the season, everybody was riding Colorado pretty hard. I was as well. I'd like to see a little bit more out of their veteran guys. I mean, Cal McCarr still young. I consider him a veteran because he's been there for a year, but still young. You can't rely on those guys to be the flashy, make the flashy plays night in and night out. You need those depth guys to step up. The Islanders are built well. They're a type of team that's built with depth in mind and strength and veteran leadership in mind. Those are the teams I'm kind of looking at. Vegas, the Islanders on the fringe about Colorado, but those are the two that stand out to me as playoff built teams uh, in that sense. The only thing is that Colorado and Vegas have to get past each other in that opening <laughs> two series. If, if it comes to that. So one of well, yeah, both those teams early. are going to kick the, you know, what out of each other. And exactly. I, whoever's left standing at the end might be a little fatigued, but yeah, no, I think the West is the West has a couple of heavy hitters there. I think the Islanders are a heavy hitter. It's, it's really uh, funny because you got me on the spot right now. I'm thinking of Toronto as well. But, you know, the Leafs are just – the Leafs are the Leafs. And I know Stevan don't like the Leafs. <laughs> no, they'll be, they'll be fine in the in the north. It's just they – I think they'll run through the north. Way. Yeah, I agree. I think there's there's run no the team north. in that division that plays a single tad of defense. They go and play any other team, especially anyone in the east, and they're not, they're not going to score eight goals a game. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. And that's the thing with this uh, these COVID um, – divisions and such you don't know how toronto this year stacks up against the islander uh, team or how they stack up against the boston bruin team or how they stack up against the vegas golden knight team like i think that's one of the shocking things and everybody in canada is all hyped about the maple leafs making a run this year and they might do it i mean listen let's not let's give kyle dubas and what uh, yeah. front office a lot of credit i mean the fact that he's managed all those contracts willie nylander mitch marner john tavares Austin Matthews and he has guys in there and he brought in Nick Foligno and they have depth, but I just don't know what it's going to be like when they hit a uh, immovable object like the Islanders or like uh, the Vegas Golden Knights or the Boston Bruins or the Colorado Avalanche. We just don't know. And we haven't got the opportunity to see that this year. They've been sheltered in that North division. I think the only team that's played them strong all year has been the Montreal Canadians. And I don't think they're going to hold a candle to them come playoff time. So the Leafs, yeah, they look great. They're running over the North Division. They're going to make it out of the first two rounds or first round or wherever when they do the reseeding. But I don't know. I'm not convinced on Toronto either. I'd like to see them play some stronger competition. Unfortunately to them, they can't right now. So it's kind of one of those wait-and-see things come playoff time. I would love to see them play the Islanders. I would love to see how that goes. I can't even pick them to get past the first round until they do it once. So <laughs> exactly. I mean, they had the qualifying round last year. They couldn't do it. And we also forget that you don't necessarily play the Islanders if they were to yes. come out of the East yeah. in that four-team little Final Four thing. They might play Vegas, so I don't think that they'll wind up getting all the way, but I do think they'll come out of the North. So 
switching gears now to Jack Eichel because I would be upset with myself if I didn't ask you about this. That saga's continued all season in Buffalo. And do you think he's dealt this offseason? I said it early on that if he was going to get traded, it would be this offseason. And who are the top contenders in your mind for a Jack Eichel trade? Teams are going to try. I know that for a fact, actually I tweeted this out a couple of days ago. I know two in specific that are absolutely going to make a push for Jack Eichel. I know, Brendan, you're going to be happy to hear one of these teams' names. I'm not going to share it right now, but I think you catch my wavelength. Oh, yeah. There's another team out west, not the LA Kings. I think the LA Kings will make a push, but there's a team out west, not the LA Kings, that I've heard of in specific that will make a play on Jack Eichel. They're looking for a number one center. They're looking to retool that organization. I have leave idea. the stink, leave the stink behind of the past couple of years. Here's another hint: new GM in there comes from a winning acumen. I think they're going to make a play. I don't know if they have the tools to get it done. Maybe they have to make a couple other supplemental moves to bring in some picks or prospects or desirable players. I don't know if what they have on the roster is enough to get it done right now. But teams are going to push on Jack Eichel. Honestly, if I'm Jack Eichel, and I know for a fact Jack Eichel wants to be either in Boston or New York, and I've said this multiple times, I don't think it's that much of a secret. Maybe New York thing goes away if David Quinn's not behind the bench anymore, which I don't think that's a uh, risk or anything like that. I think he's pretty safe there in New York for the next couple of years. So Quinn obviously brings in the Eichel draw to New York, the hometown draw in Boston. If I'm Eichel, I keep my mouth shut and I don't say a word for another year because there's no trade clause kicks in on uh, July 1st, 2022. Uh, excuse me, 2022. And then at that point, that's when he can really force his hand, uh, force Buffalo's hand and force a trade to New York or Boston. But I don't think that's going to stop teams from trying this offseason. If you had to put a gun to my head and tell me if he's getting moved or not this offseason, I'm going to play it safe and say no, only because Kevin Adams has already proven that he's not going to flinch. He didn't flinch on Taylor Hall. He didn't flinch uh, this past offseason when the New York Rangers made calls. And I don't know if the first, uh, first overall pick, Alexi Lafreniere, was ever mentioned in those trade talks, but the Rangers called – we know that from Bob McKenzie, and I don't think he flinched then. So if I had to make that prediction right now, I'd say no, he doesn't get moved. But you never know, and I think teams are absolutely going to try. Why wouldn't you? I mean, the guy's locked up. Yes, it's making $10.5 million a year. Yes, he's getting uh, fusion surgery on his neck or whatever surgery he's getting. I know he's got a bad neck injury, but he's still an absolute stud. He's a number one center in this yeah. league. He's probably a top five center in this league. And if that guy even sniffs the availability chart, you make a call and you try to make it work. 30 uh, we're going to have 32 teams next year. Correct. 30 teams are going to be interested in them. And at the end of the day, I think that teams are going to try. I don't think that's going to stop Kevin Adams from taking calls, but I'm going to say no right now. I'm going to hold off and say Eichel doesn't force his hand until next uh, offseason when his no-trade clause kicks in. If someone was holding a gun to your head and they wanted you to say yes and you said no, you're probably in trouble. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the thing, right? A lot of Ranger friends – are uh, tweeting me. They want they want Eichel. Some of them don't want Eichel, which I'm is not surprising sure if I to do. me. Yeah, some some are surprising me saying they don't want Eichel. I don't know why you would not uh, wouldn't want Eichel. I think the best teams in the league are built so strongly up the middle. I think that's where you win. I think the Rangers are a little top heavy on the wings, and I know uh, we'll probably get into talking about the Rangers here in a little bit. I wonder. Just this is speculation. I don't have anything concrete on this yet. I wonder if the Rangers maybe look at seeing what else is out there in terms of would somebody take a Buchnevich just because they're very heavy on the wings? Would somebody consider Chris Kreider? Would Chris Kreider consider being moved? I mean, that contract, quite honestly, and this is giving me, uh, giving you guys my opinion. There's no factual basis beyond this. This is just my opinion, but I think his contract's an albatross. I think it's horrible. I don't think he produces at the rate of what she's being paid. I think he was paid solely because he was at heart and soul New York Ranger. Unfortunately, 
only few of those guys are worthy of the money when they're heart and soul guys. I mean, we watched Callahan get traded. McDonough as a captain yep. got traded. We just mentioned Felino Columbus, who was a loved guy there in that locker room. So at the end of the day, I wonder if Gorton and uh, John Davidson go to Chris Kreider and say, would you consider hearing if the grass is greener on the other side? Um, just because they're so top-heavy on the wing. And eventually you're going to have to clear a path for these guys like Vitaly Kravtsov and Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere to play on the top lines. And unfortunately, when you have guys like Buchnevich and Kreider there that produce 50% of the time, yeah, it's great when they produce and they're great players when they produce. But when they're not producing and then you got guys like Kravtsov and Kako and Lafreniere on the third and fourth line, it's hard, man. And, and I think the Rangers are going to have to find a balance between that and maybe moving a guy like Kreider or Buchnevich opens up the possibility of getting another center, a, a one-two center with Jad. Maybe it opens up the possibility for them to afford to keep Strom because he does so well with Artemi Panarin. And uh, I think that's one thing that I'm waiting to see. Maybe the Rangers would explore it. Like I said, speculation at this point, there's nothing concrete. But it's something I'm watching for. And Eichel obviously comes to mind with the New York Rangers. Yeah, the one hesitation I have with Eichel is what it'll take to get him. Obviously, if you can get Eichel on your team, that's a no-brainer. He's still so young, too. And, I mean, he's obviously a a big hit cap-wise, but somebody of that talent and caliber – that they deserve that hit. We saw it with Artemi Panarin. You can never overpay for somebody who's that good. So the only thing I'll say is if the Rangers were to part with a young player like a Kaka or a Lafreniere, in my mind, I can't see them giving up the right one. You know, I feel like the one that they give up is the one that's going to blossom. The other one might be an, an average NHL player. So that's the only hesitation I have. But looking ahead, there are rumblings that the Rangers are going to be active this offseason. You just talked about a couple of names and trades that might happen. They've been linked to the aforementioned Eichel, but have you heard anything else that they may actually be linked to or trying to acquire? I think that center has to be a position of interest. Yeah, kind of to piggyback on my previous answer, I'll just tell you this. I, Like I said, I was speculating on behalf of you know Kreider potentially or Buchnevich, but I know they want to clear up as much salary as they can. Um, I know Gordon never shies away from using the buyout as an option. Yep, He's done it three times now in the past three or four seasons. Um but I don't know if there's anybody in that, contra- uh, in that roster that's worthy of a buyout at this point. I think Brendan Smith comes off the books this offseason, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yep. Um, so you don't have to worry about that cap hit. Um, I think this is going to be an interesting summer for the New York Rangers. And to your point, if Buffalo comes along and asks about Capo Caco and a deal for Jack Eichel, because let's be honest with ourselves here, it's not going to be Strom a one and the empty locker of Tony D'Angelo. That's not what <laughs> Buffalo is going to take. <laughs> For Jack Eichel, I know the Ranger fans want that, but it's not going to happen, okay? It's not close. You're going to have to give up one of Kako or Lafreniere. And then the question is, do you want to? Do you want to Do you want to see them grow? Or do you think that now's the opportunity, and if you bring in a guy like Jack Eichel, you're winning the Stanley Cup in the next year or two? Because at the end of the day, Kako or Lafreniere might be as good as Jack Eichel. They're very young, and I think people lose that uh, because Kako's been in the league for a couple of years now, and Lafreniere hasn't looked his best. They're very young players, and they might be as good as Eichel. But if the Rangers make a move like that, that's JD and Gordon saying, "Listen, we're going to win a cup in the next one or two uh, year or two. And uh, I think that's an interesting question for the New York Rangers going into the off, se- off season. But primarily, it's cap. I think they want the flexibility to explore things like Jack Eichel. They need that cap space to even consider those things. I had, off the top of my head, I don't know who else in the center category might be available come the off season. There's a Zabanajad extension looming in the next yep. year or two. There's a lot of things that the Rangers need that flexibility to do, and that's why, like I said, I speculate about Chris Kreider because I think that contract might be a burden down the line. And 
Yes, he's meant a lot for the organization over the years. Yes, he had an outstanding uh, rookie debut in the playoffs against Ottawa, and he's been everything the organization has asked him to do since then. He's disappeared at some times, but he's been a heart and soul player. But if you're the Rangers, I mean, you gotta you got to think about those things because in order to grow his organization through this rebuild and back into contendership, you can't have contracts like those on the books that hinder you from getting your young, talented guys in the lineup and hindering you from getting the pieces you need like a number one center. Yep, I completely agree. And you talk about, you know, Eichel or Capo Caco and Lafreniere. Even if one of those two wound up being the player that Eichel is, Eichel's a center. And I think that just his strength down the middle kind of outweighs the point total from a winger comparison. So if you were looking at the two and looking to trade one, I would have to lean towards, yeah, let's get Eichel on this team. Because like you said, it does put them back into that contention fold. Now you're talking about two superstars really on one team and that's huge. So Stefan will let you ask your question, but that, that would be scary if they were able to pull something off like that. I mean, I was talking to Brendan before you came on about, it seems like every week a new prospect comes onto the Rangers team after every, and then I'm sitting here on the Island going, yeah, we got cap issues. Nobody wants the players we're trying to get rid of. It's just, it's just tough, but let's move on to my, my last question. Our last question. We got an expansion draft coming up. And we saw what Vegas was able to do when they built their roster. They made smart decisions with other teams on, okay, you trade us this, we won't take this player. You'll protect this player. I know it's very early, but have you heard any rumblings of what teams may be, able to, may be willing to offer to protect certain players? Yeah, so Seattle's been able to talk with other teams. Um, they haven't sent their last payment, uh, last portion of their $500 million expansion fee to the league yet, so they can't uh, finalize trades at this point. But they're allowed to talk to other teams. Ron Francis has been doing so. I think the one thing that's come up and when I've asked about it is that Seattle is targeting a goaltender. It may be in return to protect somebody else, a starting goaltender, because the one benefit that Vegas had was that Pittsburgh was going to let Marc-Andre Fleury go into the expansion draft. There's no Marc-Andre Fleury right now that might be in the expansion draft, uh, the expansion draft coming up. I don't think there's a top flight goaltender like that. And I think Seattle having that acumen of guys who have watched Vegas grow in their front office and potentially Gerard Gallant being their next head coach, who's experienced it, I think they understand the importance of having a backbone in the net uh, to start their uh, tenure as an NHL franchise. So I wonder if a guy like uh, Alex Georgiev or a Chris Drager or Dreiger, uh, I can't pronounce his name correctly, in Florida, um, I wonder if one of those guys appeal to Seattle as maybe, listen, you take one of those guys and then we'll protect you don't take anybody else from our roster and another team like the Rangers or the Florida Panthers can expose a guy that they may have not wanted to expose because they have that security of giving up the goaltender. But I think that's the one thing that's come to, uh, came up in all my questions about it is that Seattle wants their goaltender and he's not going to be available in the draft. So they're going to have to wheel and deal to get uh, a goaltender, maybe in a form of protection for another team protecting a player. What about, I mean, this might be a stretch, but what about a guy like Varlamov from the honors as not, I know he's not the, the number one option, but. No, I think I, it makes a lot of sense, but honestly, and I'll go right back at you. And I know you probably know the honors better than I, but I think Varlamov uh, makes a lot of sense for the honors to keep. I mean, yeah, no, it does. Sorokin is great, and the white whale finally showed up, and everybody's celebrating, and he's played awesome, and there's no uh, no doubts or concerns about him at this point. But you got a guy that he's comfortable with. He knows Varlama very well, and they're two Russian-born goaltenders, and they have that connection. And Mitch Korn does great work with both of them. Yeah. Why would you kind of get rid of Varlamov? Just because you never know. I mean, look at Igor Shosturkin. Igor Shosturkin is a fantastic goalie, and I think – Rangers and the Islanders have two of the best goaltenders in the league going forward for the next five, 10 years. But Shesterkin's been hurt a couple of times. And, you know, for all the flack that people give Alexander Georgiev, and I give him a lot of flack as well, 
the Rangers are lucky they've had him to get him through some tough times, whether it be last season when uh, when the car accident happened or this season with the uh, with the groin injury. So I don't know if in the Islanders I'm willing to give up Varlamov. But, yeah, like you said, he makes a lot of sense for a Seattle. I think Yaroslav Halak does too. But yep. Boston's kind of in the same boat. You don't really know what Tuka Rask is up to. And I know there's a lot of talk about Tuka Rask speculating whether his heart's in it or not. But I don't think that's the question. I think he's genuinely hurt. And I think he genuinely wants to be there for the Boston Bruins. But it's so hard because it's that fine line of do you want to give up the uh, the depth and net, one of the most important positions in all of sports. If you do, maybe you get that protection from Seattle of them not poaching another player from your roster. But then you lose that depth and net. So it's a fine line. If I'm like a team like the Islanders or the Boston Bruins, I hold on to Halak or Varlamov. You just don't know. There's too many question marks, and those teams are built to win in the next couple of years, and that's the most important position. Whereas a team like the Rangers or the Florida Panthers, I don't know if they're there yet. So they can afford maybe to replace a Georgiev or a Dreger or a Dredger or whatever. We're going to go do this again with the name. But <laughs> a guy like that in the net, I think um, they can afford to take another year to maybe find that depth. Whereas an Islander team or a Bruin team might not be able to afford giving up one of their one B backups in that situation. So you uh, I, one second, Stephen, because I haven't even looked at anything yet. But we're not going to mention the possibility. There's a lot a Robin Leonard and Mark Andre Fleury in Vegas. Fleury back, go Fleury to Seattle. Um, I, I know you can't protect two goalies. You, Dave, they obviously came close to trading Fleury, and I, Bill Foley, and I have a lot of connections with the Vegas Golden Knight organization. They, um. They came close to trading Fleur in the offseason. Don't buy what the owners are feeding you. I don't know if it was New Jersey maybe to take that cap hit. Um, there were a lot of talks about maybe them absorbing the hit because they could afford it at that time. But they came close to trading Fleur. They pulled back at the last second, and obviously they're very thankful they did with the injury questions with Robin Leonard this season with his shoulder and, or a head injury. I don't think it was ever disclosed what really went wrong there, but he was out for quite some time. I don't know. Vegas somehow always makes it work with the cap. So if I'm Vegas, right, if, if I'm Kelly McCrimmon and I'm sitting in that front office, I basically say, listen, I'll try to keep making this work as long as I can because it's proven that this goaltending debt works for us. So at the end of the day, that's one of the things I'm looking for. And um, I do think those Seattle's going to poach their goaltender from a team through at the, ex- uh, at the uh, expense of another team protecting one of their guys. Great. Great insight. I mean, this interview has been absolutely still. We only wanted you on for like 10 minutes, but it turned into 30 minutes. And we're going to have to play it all because it's valuable information. But you can't pronounce Drager. We can't pronounce Francois or Francois on Colorado. So, you know, it Double works. Francois. Yeah, 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 I got you. Yeah, no, some of these guys are <laughs> tough names. They're crazy. Yeah. One more thing before I let you guys go. I don't want to flip the script on you guys. I don't know if you saw my tweet right before I came on here. This is more for Stefan because he's such an Islander fan. What's up with Tim Lewicki saying that the dream scenario – would be a Stanley Cup and a Belmont Stakes race on the same day at the UBS Arena. I think that'd be a nightmare for the LIRR and the MTA. I don't All think right. you'd be able to drive on the Hemsworth I'm from Turnpike. Brooklyn. That traffic would be a disaster. Absolutely. It takes 20 hours to leave the Nassau Coliseum parking lot. It took 15 hours to leave the Barclays Center. I don't know what, what's up with your boy there saying that that's a dream scenario. I would think that's a nightmare for the organization. And maybe Kate Murray will come back from Nassau politics to shut that uh, situation down. Uh, she can go back to whatever hole she came from. No, what I would say is I don't like that comment because I'd rather see a cup they win it this year, Nassau Coliseum ice, and don't worry about next year until this year is over. That's what I would say to that. No, right, that's fair. I'll give you that. I just I was a little confused by his comments there. I think as a as – a, um, businessman somebody yeah. with the success that he has i don't know why you'd say it's a dream scenario i think that's a nightmare scenario for your brand 
It's, it's just not good. But I'd rather just focus on the magic that's happening in Astro Coliseum this year. But Mr. NRD, thanks so much for joining us, guys. You can follow him on Twitter at NHL Rumors Daily. Spell it with, it's R-U-M-O-R-S. Mr. NRD, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it, guys. We'll definitely do it again. A lot of fun. Well, there you go. For those of you that were wondering what NHL Rumors Daily sounds like, that's the mysterious man's voice. And it was great having him on. A lot of phenomenal insight and head-scratching stuff for the most part when it comes to what might go on this offseason, who won the deadline, who did not, and what's going to happen in this postseason. So big thank you to NHL Rumors Daily. At NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter, if you have not followed him yet, do so. You'll enjoy his content. So please come back. Episode 30 will be out at some point on Monday. We have a lot of great content to talk about after a weekend full of hockey. Thank you for listening to this one, and check back in with us very soon. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Back Check Pod.